Good morning. My name is Pastor Milo. It's so good to be with you today. I was away last week. I was in North Tonawanda at Renewal Church, and I know Dan was here, and it's just good to be back with you. So I'm glad that you're here this morning. If you're a guest with us this morning, we have been working our way through a series called The Journey to Jerusalem, and uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit as we get there. Uh, the bottom line I want to start with this morning is that life is going to challenge you. It's going to hand you something unfair. It's going to steal something from you. It's going to interrupt you at some point. And you will have the choice of whether to deny, cope, or thrive. January the 16th, 2009, I was 28 years old. My wife was 29. We had two little kids. We went to the doctor that day for our 20-week ultrasound. When we got there, we were pretty excited this time because we had a two-year-old and an 18-month-old. She was three, a three-year-old and an 18-month-old, and we wanted them to experience seeing the baby uh, through the uh, ultrasound. And uh, it ended up being kind of a waste of time because while we were there and mama's belly's getting all lubed up and everything else, and they got more excited about this reciprocating fan that was moving back and forth. And that was all they wanted to look at. And that was all they were focused on. And it was just going back and forth. And that, that was what that was all about. Um, so the, the technician does her job. And then the doctor comes in. And the doctor asks uh, if the nurse would be willing to take our two kids for just a couple moments. And the doctor looks at us and she says, we, we need to talk about this ultrasound. January 24th, 2010, so a year later... At that point, I'm 29. My wife is 30. Those two kids are now four and, excuse me, three and two. Four and two. Birthdays are important in there to to them, I assume. And we were at, I was packing up equipment in our church plant. Our church plant had met in a elementary school. And so for years we had packed everything up and it seemed like there were more cables, just winding cables. There are XLR cables, which are for your microphones. There's uh, cables for your lighting. So you got to wrap all of those up and you've got VGA cables for your projectors. And it just seems you wrap cables and cables and cables. If you've ever been in a church plant, you use more extension cords than legally anyone should ever use in any situation at any time. We're just wrapping all these cables up. We had just told the church I think maybe the week before, but certainly we're starting to get excited about it, was that the church, we were moving out of the elementary school cafeteria. We were no longer going to have to pick up all the cafeteria tables and set out chairs. We were moving over to the local high school, a 300-seat auditorium that had its own lights and sound and chairs. We weren't going to have to set everything up anymore. We had been in that location for six years uh, at the uh, cafeteria. And I remember as we were packing those things up, I was the worship leader, and I had just finished leading a new song uh, at our church. We were getting excited about this new David Crowder song called Everything Glorious. You make everything glorious. And my drummer caught my attention, and, and he, he, uh, he said, Aaron needs you. Aaron needs you now. And similarly, my four-year-old and my two-year-old, we literally put the kids on the curb, took the car seats out of the car, set them on the curb, and we said, someone take the kids. Uh, We had a 200-mile drive at that point. Uh, My son, Josiah, at that point had uh, coded, and he was taking his last breath, and we were 200 miles away to make that trip. 
And so there are times where difficult things happen. There are times where life is going to challenge you. Life is going to deal you an unfair deck of cards. Mother Teresa puts it this way. Suffering will come. Trouble will come. That's part of life, a sign that you are alive. Many of you are nodding back to me. I've heard many of your stories. You've shared your stories with me as well. Difficult things, the challenges of life will take your feet out from under you, just as easy as it is to slip on the ice in the parking lot today. Life just seems like it'll take your legs right out from under you. Suffering will come, trouble will come. That's part of life, a sign that you are alive. Now we like Mother Teresa, she's nice, but it turns out uh, this was spoke before Mother Teresa said it in the Gospel of Luke. So if you get your Bibles out this morning, Jesus said something similar far before Mother Teresa ever thought of it. If you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 12, or in the New International Version, if you want to follow along uh, with a tablet or a phone or something along those lines, the version is a great way to go. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, the black Bible in front of you is on page 1251, Luke chapter 12. If it's your first time here, you haven't been here in a while, we are in this sermon series, The Journey to Jerusalem. As we've made our way there, Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus says that he turns and he sets his face towards Jerusalem. What should have been a three-day journey looks like it takes three months or more because as he is making that journey to Jerusalem where crucifixion, death on the cross, pain and suffering, the challenges of life were going to be severe. As he is making that trip, there are some last things that he wants to teach his disciples as they go. And so as we read through here today and as we make our way through the series, we are going to really focus on what it was that Jesus wanted to teach his disciples. So we are now in Luke chapter 12, beginning in this verse 54. Luke 12, beginning in verse 54. When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. When you see the south wind blow, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you need to know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret the present time? There will be trouble in life. There will be challenges. Just as as clear as the seasons will change and the wind will blow from a different direction and warm air will come and all of a sudden spring will be here and all the seasons will change and, and the temperature will be different. Everything will change. Just as sure as that will happen, Jesus is saying, so will the challenges of life be just as sure. Tragedy will be just as sure to strike in your life. And in today's passage... We're going to talk about some of the calamities, the national calamities that Jesus was dealing with in his time and in his day. And in our congregation, even this week, there are many of you who have gone through some very significant things. I stood out yesterday in the snow as it gently fell as one of our friends and family was buried. Many of you will go to that memorial service this afternoon as well. Calamity will come. But when Jesus looks at this calamity, it would be similar today if the the national media outlets would be talking about all of these things that were going on. So if it were today, maybe the ones, the the, the national ones that we know a lot about would be the story of the, the Amish schoolhouse and all those children that were slaughtered there. And the idea is saying, uh, if they were looking at that, they'd say, why would God allow that to happen? Well, it must be because they were really bad people. 
They were worse sinners than the rest of us, and that's why God allowed that to happen. Or uh, when those 2,749 people who were killed at the Twin Towers in Manhattan the day that they fell must be that there was something more sinful about them than other people. That's why God allowed that to happen. And Jesus doesn't deal with the issue of why would a loving God allow this to happen. He could have. But instead, Jesus gets down to the brass tacks, the bottom line. He cuts into something even more important than that. He says, there is something even more important of whether you live or you die. There's something more important than that, more important than those challenges, and that is your eternal security. Unless you repent, you too will likewise perish, is what we will read today two times. Unless you repent, you too will all perish perish. Let's take some time to get there. If you've got your white uh, sheet of paper, it came in your bulletin this morning. It's an outline that helps you figure out where I am in the sermon and how many minutes I've got left, most likely. So we're now at point number one, all right? For those of you keeping track. When tragedy strikes your wealth, who will be your supply? When tragedy strikes your wealth, who will be your supply? Chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower at Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now the first example we see that Pilate mixes the blood of these Galileans with their sacrifices. Pilate had literally put a price, a bounty on their head because they were pushing back against the Roman government, the Roman rule. They were fighting back against the Roman control. And so Pilate went after them. His wealth, his power allowed him to crush the opposition. And they all knew about it because these were the Jews from Galilee. And they all knew about this. They said if, we, if there's an uprising of any sort that they will crush us. And then secondly, this story about the 18 who perished because a tower fell. In Jewish culture, there was towers that were built to oversee a vineyard uh, to be able to look over your property. And there was towers that were built that were part of a military wall around a city so that you could control them. Both of those situations was a matter of status or wealth or military power. And oftentimes, those who were working uh, would be working and saying, you're getting paid to work on a tower, to build this tower in this case. You're getting paid to do that, and you are just further making the wealthy even that much more wealthier. You're creating this power structure even more so. And there's many who believe that that was a sinful thing to do. He followed it up with this parable, verse 6. Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should I use up the soil? 
So Jesus tells this story, this parable of a, a guy who owns a vineyard. Again, someone who is of wealth and of status. But he's invested so much in this fig tree. And it was common for there to be different types of fruit trees within a vineyard as well. So that's not unusual. But there's this tree producing fruit, or it should be. And after the three-year mark, he said, by now I've invested too much here. The soil, it says, is, is, is giving life to this tree. And if the soil cannot give life to the tree and I don't get any fruit out of it, I need to cut it down and put something else there in that soil that will help with my vineyard, that will help it grow. Why? Because this is what pays the bills. Any of you who run small businesses understand this. That at some point, you, you invest, you invest, you invest. But if at the end of the day, you are not being able to get a return on your investment, you've got to cut your losses and move on. In this case, it was literally cut the tree down. Start over. Because there's only so long that that will be there. So, when tragedy strikes your wealth, if you have a bad crop, who will be your supply? Secondly, when tragedy strikes your health, where will you go for healing? When tragedy strikes your health, where will you go for healing? Verse 10, on the Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman who was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years, she was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praise God. So put yourself in the story of this woman. For 18 years, she had been part of this community. For 18 years, she had been even part of this synagogue. And so she is there. She has heard about this healer, this Jesus, this rabbi who had come and he was healing people. She is there in the service. She is looking through the crowd at him as she is able to do because she says this infirmity has her hunched over, so it's maybe even difficult for her to raise her head and to do so. But Jesus sees her through the crowd, makes eye contact with her, and says, why don't you come up here in front of everyone? And she makes her way forward, struggles to make her way forward. Again, this infirmity has been there for 18 years. She's unable to straighten up at all. She has been crippled. She has been bent over. And he calls her forward and says to her, woman, you are set free. What happens? He put his hands on her. And what? Immediately, she straightened up and she praised God. For 18 years, she has needed healing. For 18 years, she has suffered. For 18 years, she has had difficulty fitting in with that culture and with that society. For 18 years, this has been a struggle, a battle, and she comes to Jesus, and what does Jesus do? Jesus heals her, and she straightens up immediately and praises God. Now, if you were in that service, it's not going to happen here this morning. If you were in that service and you saw someone who you knew for 18 years, your kids went to elementary school together, your sons played on the football team together, this 18 years you've known this woman and all of a sudden she stands up and she's able to praise God, don't you think that would get your attention? It got the attention of the leaders of the synagogue as well. Look at verse 14. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, 
So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give water? Raise your hand if you have an ox or a donkey this morning. All right. Yes, there's a smart aleck in the room. Yes. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? That was an approved work thing to do. And so before we get too angry at the synagogue leaders, understand that this was kind of their role, their process, is that they would actually go through and determine what is the approved amount of work versus the disapproved amount of work. And they would balance these things. And as times changed, they would change things as well. So this is a modern day context. There would be not an ox. There would be some other example that they could give in modern context to say, this is the amount of work you are allowed to do versus what you are not allowed to do. And so in his way, this leader is actually trying to balance. He's trying to figure out, is this beyond the scope of what should be done on the Sabbath day? And so his determination is that, yes, this is beyond the scope. Come and be healed on the other six days of the week. <coughs> and in doing so, Jesus says, you hypocrite. You missed the whole point of what has just happened here. This woman has been 18 years struggling, and today she is free. And rather than celebrating, you're trying to determine whether or not this was the appropriate day on which to celebrate what you just experienced. You're missing the point. When tragedy strikes your health, where will you go for healing? When tragedy strikes, thirdly, your happiness, what will bring you joy? When tragedy strikes your happiness, what will bring you joy? Verse 17. When he said all this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing. You see, happiness comes at odd times. In this passage, you have the leaders are humiliated in front of him. They had been happy previously, and now because of their humiliation, they looked like fools. And what happens? The rest of the crowd is happy. Have you ever been to a football game? You ever ride the emotional roller coaster of a Bills game? It usually ends at the bottom. The crowd gets happy, the crowd gets upset. The crowd gets happy, the crowd, this is, that's what being a fan is all about. Our neighbors across the street, well, Rini, here in the office, maybe you know Rini, she is from Philadelphia. Her husband is from Boston. So they had a great time. I'm sure that the roller coaster was going in opposite directions the whole evening. Happiness is like that. It chases what? Our circumstances. And so this, this crowd was happy in that moment because their circumstances had changed. Suddenly there's this guy who's bold enough to talk back to the synagogue leaders. And so that makes them happy. And in a similar fashion, the ones who had been the singulars, they had everything under control and they were able to balance everything, keep everything good. Now they were unhappy because they had been humiliated publicly. But Jesus makes a deeper point than that. When tragedy strikes your happiness, what will bring you joy? Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? 
It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched on it and in its branches. And he's the second example. Again, he asked, verse 20, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. <coughs> I remember early on when we first got married, and many of you have done this, uh, someone gave us a little ball of dough with yeast in it, and they said, you'll be able to use this the rest of your marriage. Because somehow you're supposed to take that, and you cut a little piece off of it, and you grow it in a bag over here, and then you, you put all the ingredients. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You put all the ingredients in it, and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. How many of you have a little bag of yeast growing in your, in your kitchen right now? Oh, we do. Actually, okay. There we go. Our bag is long dead. <laughs> Long gone. Just a little bit of yeast can grow and grow and grow, and just a little flower, just a little seed can grow. What we see here is it only takes a little bit. So when tragedy strikes your wealth, if we go back through each of these points, when tragedy strikes your wealth, you plant a little seed of God's faith. When tragedy strikes your wealth, the tiniest, the smallest seed of faith in that God is who he says he is, more so than what we see around us. I don't know how many of you it affected this week. The stock market took a fall this week. Some of you, that has affected greatly. Some of you are dealing with your retirement packages and things like that. This, this all about timing, it matters significantly. Others of you who are younger, you just let that thing ride and you'll be okay, you figure. But some people, this is a, a very difficult week. Maybe you lost your job this week, or maybe something significantly changed in your financial status, the, the tax code changed, or whatever it is, something significantly changed, and all of a sudden, you've got tragedy striking your wealth or any chance of you having any wealth. And what are you going to do? Plant a tiny seed of faith. In the uh, center point, there's pictures of two men on the wall there. Some of you have been here for a little while and you have no idea who those guys are. It's not Paul and Apollos or Paul and Silas. It's Pastor Stanley Lewis, who's pastor here for a number of years, and Pastor Will, who's actually sitting in the back. Oh, he moved on me. There he is, yes sir. Pastor Will as well, both serving here for many, many years. My understanding is that Pastor Lewis, every year in February, talked about giving. And there's something about that, because by doing it every single February, you realize as a church that he wasn't out to get you. He wasn't padding his salary around budget time or anything like that, or there wasn't a major need. It was just an understanding that this February, we need to talk about giving. And so maybe I'll take a page out of his playbook to say, let's talk about this for a moment. When we talk about giving, it's actually an appropriate time of year to talk about it. We're getting our taxes done and different things like that. You can look and evaluate what last year looked like. There was a woman in the church that I talked to recently. I won't give you her name, but she was telling me about how just like when you do your taxes, when she was looking at how she was giving to the church, she was looking down what she called her Baptist deduction list, trying to find loopholes of reasons she was giving, she was being 
respectful and she was giving to what God was doing, but she found different loopholes of reasons why, well, I don't need to give this much because I'm giving over here. She was looking for loopholes in the system. Doesn't that sound very similar to what was happening here with this leader of the synagogue? He was saying, yes, it's good for you to be healed, but that's not the appropriate day to do that on. So she's looking for a loophole. And God got a hold of her about a year ago. She shared this story with me at the end of 2017, because when she was doing her taxes this year, she was able to say, I have faithfully given 10% to this church on my gross income, because that's what I believe God has called me to do. 10% on her gross income. She didn't try to run any extra little charts or work her way through any other way to do it. She said, I'm going to give 10% to the church, because I see that in scripture. Now. As a church, just so that you know, in 2017, uh, on an average, our church gives per gift $175 per gift. That's the average of what people give here as a church. January 2018, the average per gift from our congregation was $131. We're not the only church that's experienced this. Across the country, we're seeing this weird change or or change. Why? Because people's wealth is in jeopardy. There's something changing in the tax code, something changing around us. There's something changing and people going, wait a minute, I don't want to do that because if tragedy strikes my wealth, what will I do? Plant a very little seed of faith and trust, just like this woman in our congregation trusted that God will supply your needs because when tragedy strikes your wealth, you plant a seed of God's faith, you will see God supply your needs. So start by planting a seed. Start at 1%. Start at $5 reoccurring every week. You can do that on our website, give.randallchurch.org. Begin there. But start by planting a tiny seed and see what happens. When tragedy strikes your health, plant a seed of God's hope. Plant a seed of God's hope and find healing. A woman named Stephanie uh, Buxhoveden is a nurse practitioner. If you've ever heard of her, maybe you have or haven't, there's a TED talk that she does about what happened when she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And that diagnosis is still one that there is no cure for. But she found and she realized that she was going and and studying to be a nurse practitioner that she could change her perspective because now she could actually serve those who have multiple sclerosis as someone who has this disease and actually give them hope from day to day. She has no cure. She has no help for them, but just a little bit of hope. Nick Vidjucic, I believe is how you say his name. I've heard him speak at least one time and then via uh, different YouTube videos and different things like that as well. He's a man who's born with no arms, no legs. He's a believer. And he shares his story and talks about the extravagant life that he gets to live because what God has done in his life. The man was born with no arms, no legs. But he planted a little seed of hope. 
It has not changed his situation. It has not given him legs or arms or done anything differently there. But because of that little seed of hope, God has allowed that to grow and to thrive into something very powerful. And without question, if he was here today, him speaking for just a few moments would be something you would remember the rest of your life. That's what God does with just a little seed. When tragedy strikes your happiness, plant a seed of God's love. Plant a seed of God's love. You'll find, as we talked this morning, uh, of being able to just look at your neighbors and say, is there a practical way that I can show God's love here today? Western New York, it snows. Can you shovel your neighbor's yard because you know I've got two widows that live on my street? I can do that. Some of you can't do that, and that's okay, but you can bake cookies. <laughs> Boy, can some of you bake cookies. Christmas time, there's cookies, cookies, cookies. Boy. But is there a way that you could show the practical love of Jesus? What is Jesus' love? It is unconditional love. It doesn't look down on the situation, doesn't push away, say, well, that, I don't want to get involved there. But no, just a practical way. Plant a very small seed and see what God does. And we want to do the best that we can as a church to be able to tell those stories of God allowing you to plant very small seeds of God's love and watch it change. Watch it change our church to be demonstrated by joy rather than happiness. Do you understand the difference, right? This can be a very happy place to be when the room is full and the kids are happy and your teenagers are all uh, running around and giving you hugs and telling you how much they love you that, the, that you are their parents. That hasn't happened in a while. But joy is different. Circumstances can change. Joy is, remains a constant. Why? Because joy comes from God. And when you plant a small seed, it grows. If you've picked up on it, those terms, faith, hope, and love, we see throughout Scripture again and again and again. And it should not be a surprise that if you planted a seed of faith, hope, or love, that God would make it blossom into something beautiful. When tragedy strikes, what are you going to do? Watch happiness grow. Verse 22 of Luke chapter 13 says this. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. I feel like the author of Luke doesn't want you to miss that, that while all of this is happening, he's still on the road to Jerusalem. He's planting seeds himself. You understand that? As he moves, as he goes, he's, he's planting seeds that we get to read in the Gospels today because of the seeds that he planted and how it grew and how it blossomed and how he interacted with people. He is literally on a death march to Jerusalem. And while he is going there, he is planting seeds that have grown into the truths of God's word that we live on and we hunger for because he was willing. Tragedy was coming. Some of you have experienced it this week, you've experienced it this year, and some of you will experience it tomorrow. Jesus, as he is on the road to Jerusalem, is having tremendous impact in people's lives. Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1, says this, God is our refuge and strength 
the ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give away and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. And I believe it's verse 7. It says, the Lord Almighty is with us. There are a lot of things that you will experience in this life. We are not an earthquake-prone area. That would be the only scenario I can think of where the mountains just collapse into the sea. But most likely in our lifetimes, we will not experience that calamity. But the psalmist is trying to to give us the, the largest picture that you could possibly, the scope that as wide as you could possibly imagine. And in that scenario, we will not be afraid. Why? Because the Lord Almighty is with us. Now we got to come back to the main point of this passage. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were present time Jesus told the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans who they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Verse 4. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they are more guilty than the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. You see, when tragedy strikes we realize that our days are numbered. And whether you realize your own limited time on this earth or realize the people around you's limited time on this earth, that neighbor that you have never met, we talked, Kelly talked about that earlier, that neighbor that you've never met, do not be certain that that neighbor will be there 10 days from now. You do not know. Do not be certain that this afternoon, you'll be able to pull in the driveway with your vehicle the same way that you left this morning. Do not be certain of that. And so in that, when the calamity happens, when tragedy strikes, it reminds us that every moment is a treasure. When tragedy strikes, we are reminded, reminded that we need an eternal Savior. And so this passage in Psalm 46 comforts us But do not miss, the Lord Almighty is with us. Why is he with us? Because his son, Jesus, died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He gave of himself for you so that he could be what? God with us. And that's the connection to why we do not have fear. Because you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. He says, unless you repent, you too will perish. When he's talking about perishing, he's talking eternally. But it doesn't have to be that way. The Lord Almighty is with us. Two different times in this passage that we read today, he cries the word hypocrites. He says, it's all here before you. And you're playing a good game. You've got everyone fooled. But unless you repent, you too will perish. So the question I ask you this morning is, do you know Jesus? Because when tragedy strikes, Jesus is where you will find faith. Jesus is where you will find hope. Jesus is where you will see love demonstrated and come alive. When tragedy strikes your wealth, when tragedy strikes your health, when tragedy strikes your happiness, Jesus is the solution. John 14, 6 makes it very simple. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The gift is there. So Lord, we pray this morning that your word has been clear. We pray this morning 
that you have spoke clearly, that the seeds that you planted so many years, 2,000 years ago, would speak as if they were spoken to us this morning. Give us the boldness to respond. Lord, fight back against hypocrisy. Hypocrisy believing that we can tell everyone else how to live their lives and not take our own advice. God, we need you. Oh, we need you. Every hour we need you. Lord, I trust that your word has been clear today. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, the offering ushers will come forward. We make this part of our service as a response. It gives you the opportunity. We've got white connection cards in the pews in front of you. We pray for every one of those cards that come through. It gives us an opportunity to respond. Some of you are not ready to take that jump today to be able to say, I want to accept Jesus. I want to repent of my behavior. I want to stop living as a hypocrite. Well, you might be willing to have further dialogue about that. Would you write something down on that connection card so that we can follow through with that? So we pray again this morning, Lord, for this offering. As we bring our tithes and offerings before you, Lord, I pray that they we will glorify you with all that we have as a church. Lord, that just as I'm calling people to uh, be certain of their gross income and how they are giving in that way, Lord, I pray that you would keep us accountable as a church, that as the dollars come in, Lord, that we send them out in a way that keeps us accountable as well. Lord, we praise you and thank you for for who you are. We worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.